Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter. And it's also found in the middle of your bulletin insert if you'd like to follow along. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the God of the harvest to send out laborers into harvest. Then Jesus summoned his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits and cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Matthew and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanian, <laughs> wild one, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter into no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment, give without payment. Here ends. The word. In Native American tradition, a person's name changes throughout their life. It's a practice that inspires the individual to continue to transform. For the Pawnee people, a man's name, as the old anthropologist Alice C. Fletcher wrote, marks an epoch in his life, the accomplishment of something in which both gods and men bore a part. And as his life progresses and new achievements are gained, a memorial is established by taking a new name. This memorial and this change are witnessed by his tribespeople. They were also there when he performed an act indicative of great ability or strength of character, such as prowess, generosity, or courage. Depending on the person, he or she might go through several name changes, or just a few. Some people, one explanation goes, are like lakes. They change very little as they age. Other people are like rivers. At a river's source, it might be very small. And as the water moves, it can be wide and strong. And when it meets the ocean, it continues to spread out. Abraham and Sarah must have been lake people. 
Just before we pick up their story, at the ages of 190 years old, they are given new names. From Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah. By the time Abraham and Sarah welcome the three strangers who tell of Sarah's geriatric fertility, Abraham has already heard of this news once before, when God proclaims to him their new names. But this is Sarah's first time hearing of it. She has always been the barren woman, a rung lower in status, knowing the shame of others' laughter. So it takes her a little bit to live into this new change. At the finale of the Pawnee naming ritual, when the priest reaches the moment of proclaiming for the first time the tribesperson's new name, there remains a sense of evolution. The new name is announced, followed by saying, in the process of making himself what he is. Sarah, in the process of making herself what she is. Fruitful. A way made open when there was no way. New life given when there was no life. The matriarch of the Jewish people. The princess of jubilation. She was not bound by one telling of her story. Just before our reading from Matthew, Jesus has been healing one person after the next. He heals a paralyzed man, brings a young girl back to life, returns sight to two blind men, and give vo gives voice to a mute. The narrative the authorities circulate is that his ability to heal comes from a demonic power. But Jesus is not bound to one telling of his story either. His response is to continue to go about all the cities and villages curing every disease and every sickness. And like a river reaching the ocean, he then passes on the authority to the disciples, even to Judas, whose story of betrayal has been frozen in time. He passes on the authority to continue healing people, freshly, freely, generously, and with compassion. A new story that I continue to follow is what is happening with the people at Standing Rock. The more I watch interviews with the leaders of the tribe, the more they appear increasingly vibrant. Part of the story that has been told is that they've always been on the short end of the stick for a really long time. They have lived through ground zero of poverty and inequity in America. In the latest interview, they spoke of a new vision for their people, a vision of being the epicenter for renewable energy. The place where they live is fruitful, with the potential of being the Saudi Arabia of solar and wind power, as one leader said. And they will be able to warm their homes and take care of themselves in a good, 
way. And they will be able to thrive with their own source of income, not as an investment for another charitable entity. They have a growing sense of possibility and hope. They are in the process of becoming who they are, not bound by one telling of their story. This past week, standing in line at my local bakery after a rough workout session, a woman to whom I had borne witness as she made her way through the proverbial desert appeared with bright pink lipstick, smiling. She came straight for me, hugging my apologetic sweaty body, and remained smiling still. I asked her how she was, and clear in her response, she said, I'm living free. She had been enduring the desert for a long time. Everywhere she looked was more sand, but a way was made open when there was no way. New life was given when there was no life. The way and the life were not cheap to come by. And the other side is not perfectly perfect. And still, she's living free. Her vibrant spirit is discovering new parts to her story and a growing sense of community and purpose and bright pink lipstick. Sometimes it is our own dreams for ourselves that can become limiting. I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't asked to imagine what my future would be, asked to draw a picture of what I would be when I grew up, of the family and the house I would have, asked to write down where I imagined myself to be in 10 years of graduating from high school. When I played the fortune-telling game MASH-O, <laughs> some of you may know it, I always hoped for the mansion and held my breath that I wouldn't get the outhouse. <laughs> the practice of telling my life story from beginning to end from the vantage point of my eight-year-old self has not always been so fruitful. Letting her dreams down was against providence and a cause for great restlessness. I'm not an astronaut, though there was a time I took on the name Sally Ride. I didn't have children when I was 23, though children filled my life. And I don't live in a mansion, but my apartment is a far cry from an outhouse. If I were to do it again, Imagine my life in 10 years. I'd be grateful to know moments of vibrancy. In my relationships, in my work, in my learning. I'd like to make a friend of the mundane. And I'd hope to be open to the dream unfolding in a different way. Embracing the possibility of new, satisfying narratives. Life is never just one story. We are not bound to just one telling. Amen.